From our headquarters in New York City, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. This podcast has been sponsored by The Shade Store. The Shade Store offers designers a simplified resource for handcrafted custom window treatments. With a team of dedicated design consultants to guide you through the selection process, measure and installation professionals to ensure the perfect fit, and more than 65 showrooms to provide inspiration, interactive product displays, and easy access to more than 1,300 exclusive materials. Designers receive special discounts and trade exclusive benefits like the ability to use COM fabrics and trims. Visit theshadestore.com slash to the trade to learn more. And now, on with the show. Bernie de la Quonia's fabric company had humble beginnings. In the early 1990s, she launched the business out of her own home after learning to weave in India. Since then, her namesake company has grown by leaps and bounds, with flagship showrooms in New York and London and a network of distributors worldwide. De La Cogna has come a long way, but she hasn't stopped moving forward towards new ideas, new business models, and new acquisitions. We sat down to chat about why some of her so-called unpopular ideas may be just what the industry needs. So Bernie, one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is this notion that European consumers and designers shop for, for fabrics in a very different way than they do here in the American market. And I wonder if you could, could speak to what some of the differences are. You know, I've talked about this so, so much, and my views are not always very popular. That's okay. But I think, I think this, the whole industry is changing dramatically, not just in America, but the the way I see the difference is that in Europe, the consumer is already able to go into a design center and place an order for products, given it's at a different price, but they can go into the design center, they can place an order for product to be delivered to their workroom. Whereas in the US, it's very much more of a closed shop. But I can't believe that that's a sustainable model. For example, Chelsea Harbour in London, where we are, the first few days of design week mm. are for trade only, and the last two days are for anybody. So, much so, so, so and for those who might not be familiar, so Chelsea Harbour is is essentially sort of it's the, like the D and D building exactly. in it's New the York, the D and D building That's equivalent it. in the in the UK. That's only it. what they've done, to your point, is yep. they have opened themselves up several days out of the week during their during their market yep. to to consumers and any other time. So nobody is stopped from coming in right. and getting a price, and the price would they would be given if they're not account holders would be a retail price, and. Are, are prices shown in the UK on your product, or does someone still sort of have to ask? Or Prices are all shown. They're all but shown. But they're all retail prices. But they're all retail prices. So our designers will know very clearly that they would get a special price right. were they to purchase from us. Right. And is that something that you could see working in the United States? The, 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 a manufactured suggested price being on there? Is that Absolutely. Something? I think it has to, and I think it will. You think it will? Absolutely. I think, and that may or may not be a good thing, Hmm. but I think it's been brought on a lot by television programs. You know, people can look online and think they can do it themselves anyway, Mm -hmm. which I know we cannot do without interior designers because I've seen huge mistakes. Right. But having said that, there are people who 
have the eye and have the ability and want to do it themselves. And, um, you know, I think it's going to happen. It's an issue that particularly with the fabric industry, the conversation has always been because fabric is an unfinished good, unlike furniture or lighting, right? You have to have someone to help you make window treatments, right? Or upholster furniture. And... In the, in the UK, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, in, in mm. the UK and, and, and France and other parts of Europe as well, people seem to have an upholsterer. People seem to have a workroom that they, that they work with. Or they, they seem to be able to shop for fabrics more easily than here in the United States. Uh, why is it different in the, in the UK? Well, in Europe, people have always always had their great-grandmother's armchair which they wanted upholstered and there's always somebody available who can do that upholstery and they've always had access to fabric that they can buy directly so it's not because anybody wants to cut out the interior designer no it's because they want the option to choose if they want to do a couple of things on their own they can do mm. and and you asked why there's a difference i don't actually think i think there are workrooms available in the u.s i don't know this for a fact but mm. i think there are as there are for example in england it's just not what's done and i think that's the thing that's going to be overturned right so it's the mindset it's a mindset work yeah and that and has to change yes and i think with workrooms as well they're not used to the consumer coming directly to them mm. You know, they're used to a designer coming to them who understands about pinch pleats, curtain hardware, lining and interlining, whereas if they get the consumer directly, they're going to have to explain all of this. So it's going to take them a lot more time. Well, and th- exactly, and that was always the concern, that not only was it going to take more time, but that they were probably going to have to add additional staff, right? That they were going to need to be customer support people, they were going to need to be people who could educate the consumer about how to work with this, again, unfinished product. And, yeah, and, and, and that's possible. It mm. is possible that that's going to happen, but there is an extra margin, mm. because of course the interior designer gets a better price. But I think whether we like it or not, it's going that way. Because if you look at the big design centers, for example, there are a number of really fabulous fabric companies who've closed down or who are not succeeding the way they'd like to succeed at the moment. You know, there are a lot of smaller companies that have been eaten up by huge groups Mm. and huge groups who are sadly getting into trouble. So there's definitely a shift. And part of it is the Internet, of course. Part of it is the internet, and and part of it, as as you and I have have discussed, is also this this tremendous oversupply, right? There, there's just a lot of fabric out there right now, and and there's just there's just too much, right? It, and it seems like the market has recognized that and and is somehow trying to to right size itself. Would you say? I totally agree. There is just so much fabric, and that brings so many problems with it. But one of the things is interior designers have been trained to ask what's new. Mm. And really, it's not necessary. And what this also means, what it brings to fabric companies, is they have this tons of stock, tons and tons of stock, and when something is discontinued or no longer new, they can't get rid of it. I, I don't know. Was it the fashion industry that was that was driving the constant need for new collections? Was it was it something that they needed? Was it editorial coverage? Was it what what was driving the cadence of constantly introducing new new product? 
I think having something new gives the salesperson on the road the opportunity to make the phone call and say, I've got something new. Mm. I know when I think of it from myself, it's great. Our sales team on the road are always very excited when we've got new because they can phone up and say we've got new. Sure. So is that what drove it? I'm not sure, but that's certainly where we've all got to. And also, you have to have everything new at a certain time because there's twice a year, being September and January, when new products are launched in the UK and Europe anyway. Mm. So what that brings with it is this huge pressure on the mills to have everything ready at one time in order to do sampling. Yes. That's a disaster because very <laughs> often the mills can't deliver on time. So what that would mean for somebody like me is I'd get the goods. I know I've got a collection to launch. I've got an event. I've got to launch it. So if the product comes in and it's not quite the color I wanted or not quite the handle I wanted, I'm forced to launch it. You don't have time to go back and There's no make time. correction. Yeah. There's no time. So I either launch it or I end up without a collection. And of course, those mills are serving you and lots of oh, other clients. Of course, clients the rest of the world. As well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've got that same time pressure. Absolutely. And the mills that we work with are the real specialist European mm. mills. Yeah. So they're not usually very big companies and they're all under the same pressure. So I decided this year, which again is not very popular, <laughs> is when my products are ready, we will launch them. Mm. And so we launch throughout the year. And at those two periods in the year, September and January, we will have a group of fabrics to show. Mm. But we will launch throughout the year as and when things are ready, rather than having this huge time pressure. That's so interesting. And so you're in a lot of multi-line showrooms around the, around yeah. the world. Yes. D does that create challenges for your, for your multi-line partners? A little bit. Can I tell you that next year? <laughs> we well, just, so we'll find we out. Really, we'll, we'll find, find out. out you know, okay. I, I do know that in America, in the past, mm. some American companies have done this. So I'm just hoping that they would be very happy with this way of working with things. And they may well be. But, you know, that brings us to the other one is designers all have huge time constraints. I don't know whether it was brought on by feeling they have to be on social media and following the trends or but they never have enough time to see collections. So if I'm launching all year, how are they going to get to see it all year? Mm. So it is a big question, but I, th I believe this is the right way for the company to go. So by the end of the year, I'll be able to tell you how okay. it works out. But, but, but so you're going to set your own timetable. I'm just going to set right? my own timetable. And, and what's the most important show for, for you these days? So is, so is it is it Deco Off in, in, in January? Is that sort of where you're most focused in terms of introducing product? Um, it's got pros and cons. I think, you know, exhibitions are always really popular and successful. And then for some reason, they fall off. Hmm. So at the moment, we're at the peak of Deco Off. For me, I will continue to do it right now for a simple reason. All the Americans come to Paris. <laughs> funny enough, right? So you go to really show funny. in Paris so to show all the it's Americans great the new to product. see the Europeans, but when we show in Paris, all the Americans come. Right. I don't know what it is with you Americans <laughs> in Paris, but yes. all the Americans come to Paris. So well, it's a great we, opportunity yes. for me. I mean, I feel like in Paris, People are really writing orders. Yes, I want that. Yes, send me that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a place to take orders, not just to show. Yeah. And you, and you really get a sense about whether you've made some good decisions about 
right? Your new, your new, that's when you start to really get a sense of, of the response to people, right? Well, you know, when we show Deco off and going forward, I'll bring all my year's fabrics together, and that's when I'll show the collection. And it's only once I see the reaction at the show that I know whether it's going to win or lose. Yeah. So it's really interesting. But it's, for now, it's a great show. It's a great show, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's a very important show for yeah. you. You have a flagship showroom in the D and D building. That's your yeah. that's your flagship here in the U.S. Right? That's, yes. Yes. That's okay. It. So, do you use that showroom as a as a sort of a staging area for how you envision the collection being sort of around the around the country? Do you think of that showroom sort of first when you're thinking about new product and and design? It is our flagship, and it definitely is how what I think about when we're launching. Mm. I think more so. When I think about it, I think about the colors that the Americans like, which are so different to the colors that mm. are liked in Europe. Interesting. So tell me about that. Tell me, tell me what, the, what the difference is between what the Americans well, like and well, every, like in the Well, every UK. country I've discovered <laughs> like different colors. But, and it's very clear and specific with America. In America, it's blue. It's blue. And all shades of blue. <laughs> Everybody buys blue in America. And it's that sort of duck egg, blue-green, all the way through to navy blue. Which okay. I think really was because of Ralph Lauren and all his navy blue. But um, yes, it had a huge influence. <laughs> I think it did. Yeah. I think it had a great influence. So I think I know that if I launch the right blue, it's going to sell in America. I know I'm not going to sell it in England. Interesting. So yeah. so blue, not, not no, no, not so much. So so the, so, what's the big color then for the for the in England or the UK? Oh, sad to say, it's grey and cream. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, but I see a lot of color coming. Okay. I see green, which is interesting. So we're getting different sorts of greens and teals are coming through. Mm. But I, I've got to say that across the board, when I look at my ten best sellers for the year, um, they're all grey, cream, stone. Mm-mm. That's it, and that's worldwide. Not just the UK, that's worldwide. Really? Mm. The people who experiment the most with color, you would say it was Russia, but it isn't. It's France. I know I can sell bright yellow, bright blue, you know, clear colors in, um, in France. Whereas other, color, other countries, it's much more muted. Italy, much more muted. Their color choices always have gray in them. That's so interesting because you walk along the streets of Italy, and I, I, I mean, I've never seen a more brightly colored group of of people. I mean, I when I first visited True. Milan, yep. and and everyone was just and their style so, is amazing. Yes, yep. yes, yes. It it just made me fall in love with with but the they, colors and their how they color presented choices it. are more. But interiors, yeah, they're more, more muted. muted. Yeah. Let's talk about how you first got into into the industry. Let's let's tell people the the story of of how you how you got started and and even sort of what you were doing before you came into the. You really want to hear sexta- the story? I, I do. Okay, I, I so. want to hear the story. <laughs> so you know, I come from South Africa. Yes. And I was married, found myself in Belgium, mm. and I'd studied architectural design, so I had no idea about fabrics. But in Belgium, I started to get interested in this, this fabric that I found, this antique French linen shop. And then we went to live after a year in England, and I was getting divorced, had mm. to support myself, had very little money, and a friend of mine said to me, come with me to India. He had a business 
out of India into South Africa and I could help him with that. So I went off to India and when I was there, I'm cutting a long story short, but when I was there, <laughs> yes, I, I saw... A lot of details. Um, <laughs> a lot of details. When I was there, I saw the most incredible craftsmanship. They were pr- producing things out of almost nothing. Mm. They were producing the most amazing textiles in vibrant colors. I was just seduced by the country, the smells, the oh. colors. The, it's quite, it is really an incredible country. People say it changes their, their life and their, their sort of view uh, about so many it's things. It's just incredible. Yeah. And um, having been seduced by linen, mm. I thought, I'm sure I could weave linen and produce some really interesting linen with all this hand craftsmanship that I'm seeing, um, and I could start a business. Well, that was before the internet, because this mm. is more than 25 years ago. So right. I had to get the yellow pages. Did, do you know what that is? Those big <laughs> old course. phone books. Those big old okay. books? I do know and the I yellow pages. And I paged through the yellow pages. <laughs> and um, finally, I found a company, the Silk Weaving Council or something like that. Sure. And I found them. and. They said, okay, well, if you get a train and you go off to this place in the middle of India, um, we could meet you there because we happen to be going there in a week and we could take you to where we weave our fabric. They never for one minute thought I was going to do it. So I went and I had very little money at the time. I had, um, what do you call them in America? Sneakers. Sneakers on my feet and a backpack and that's it. And um, I bought this ticket 48 hours later on the train I arrived in this little village, and that's where I learned how to weave. I literally sat with a weaver on the ground, on the mud, um, and he was weaving 100,000 yards of fabric for an American fashion designer. Really? And it was all being done by hand, and that's where I learned how to weave. So I thought, hey, this is cool. Now I can weave linen. So I came back to the UK, and I managed to get hold of linen. And in order to fund this, by the way, everybody thinks this is a funny bit of a story. I taught aerobics mm. and I was teaching <laughs> up to eight classes a day in the UK. As an aerobics teacher? Absolutely. So what's, what happens next in our, in our story? <laughs> so then I keep teaching aerobics, but then I produce these little rolls of fabric. I was very lucky to turn those bolts of linen into pillows because you can't sell a bolt of fabric. It's easy to sell a pillow. And I looked in the House and Gardens magazine. I found the names of interior designers, called them, took them the pillows, and that's how it started. I was lucky to meet the incredible Nicky Haslam. Ah, yes, okay, so Nicky Haslam. He was he was it, and he placed orders. Little did he know, I only had about 10 meters of fabric, <laughs> but he placed orders, and then I was in business, which is when I got the biggest shock because I couldn't control the quality coming out of India in those days. So I decided I've got a business, I'm on a roll, I have to move all this production to Europe, which is what I did. So without you being there, you couldn't control the quality, and so you had to be able to, to really oversee Particularly it. Particularly in the place that I went to. I went mm. right into the central part of India called the Bihar, okay. which is actually, I came to learn bandit country. I didn't know at the mm. time, but um, it was not controllable. Possibly it is today, but it certainly wasn't then. So I had to move everything to Europe, which brought with it its own challenges, um, because I couldn't get the French to beat the linen over a log, but I had to create <laughs> something which looked the same. Wait, so what did they say when you explained that to them, that that was part of the process? No, no, I need you to beat this over a I log. Know. Well, 
you he know, said, no, I you can imagine what the French had to say to me. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, can. I, I did I can. manage to find a company that was stonewashing jeans. Do you remember the beginning mm. of stonewashed jeans? Uh, unfortunately, all, I remember all too uh, well. Yes, me too. Yes. <laughs> and so I found this company and they took the bolts of fabric and we put it in those stonewashing machines, which means lit- literally a dirty great washing machine right. full of With, pumice stones. Right, which really does beat and it up. And we actually achieved a very similar thing. Hmm. So that's how that journey started. And and you were really your your own outside sales force for some time doing all of this. Oh God, I was the designer, I was yeah. the packer, I was the delivery man. I did you know it, I did it. But I must say, I did pretend to everybody, to all my customers, that I had a whole team behind yeah, me. You did. And it you... wasn't just me. <laughs> <laughs> so you pretended that you had lots of people helping you, and uh, but... fake, fake it till you make it. They yeah. say. <laughs> well, and so so how long did it take? before you did make it, so to, so to speak? I mean, how long before you really could Well, you know, get I certainly haven't you? made it. I have great plans for the future. But um, I, I suppose after about a year, I got the first person to support me. Mm. And we worked in my house, and then the second one in my house. And then eventually I took the bold step, it seemed like a bold step in those days, of getting an, an office, mm. which was great. So then I got an office, and then it grew quite quickly from there. How long ago did you open your showroom in New York in the D&D building? At the end of this year, it will be 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I, that was a very big step for you 10 years ago, I, I assume, to It was a space. huge step because I didn't really know, although we supplied Travis with fabrics mm. and then they supplied outside showrooms, I didn't know America at all. No, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I mean, it's an enormous undertaking and, it, and it's <laughs> always very challenging to, to yeah. do something with the D&D building. Yes. Uh, um, yes. Um, <laughs> and, and the dynamic there has, has changed quite quite a bit I mean it's quite a bit the, the the traffic level is very different than it was 10 years ago and and you sort of you know everything's really changed I remember when I first came to the D&D you could never get in an elevator you could be standing waiting for an elevator for 10 minutes because it was so crowded it was so crowded and so busy so that's what I expected mm. but it has all changed yes it's completely different now and I, I put a lot of that down to the internet and somehow people just don't seem to have time that seems to be one yeah. of the biggest challenges, right? I think nobody's got time. And, but it is very interesting because the other day I had a meeting with a group of interior designers. Mm. And I said to them, how do you charge your clients? And every single one of them told me something different, which is interesting. Some people charge a flat fee, mm-hmm. some by the hour, some by the square foot. Some people put a markup on product. Some people don't mark up the product. It's very interesting, but I think that's all got to change as well to give the consumer confidence because they don't know what they're getting. Yes, it, it's it's one of the biggest challenges facing interior designers to, today. Is, I think is the, so. the and fee it structure might be an popular thing for me to say, but it was just something that I noticed, mm. and I thought, you know, that that must cause a lot of confusion amongst customers. Well, I, I think it, it, it does, and I, I think that some people worry about a lack of transparency or some people mm. worry about a, a lack of standardization, and it, and it is a topic, and I, I talk to a lot of interior designers, 
it is something that they they all wish we could coalesce around mm. and sort of come up with some 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 standards. Yes, yeah. uh, in, in in part because um, they they always feel like they're negotiating or, or having to Completely. lower right or lower their fees somehow, mm. and uh, and and nobody wants to do that. You want to get paid what you For deserve, what your to, right? Is, absolutely. Yes, uh, and and you and I both share an enormous appreciation for what interior designers do. Um, the, the, the internet, uh, thing, things being so readily available at retail, yeah, yeah. right? All of these different forces have somehow diminished the, the value of what interior designers seem to be providing. And that's a huge problem. The organization that interior designers have to go through, I mean, just to pull one room together, they have to consider the flooring, the paint, the lighting, the sofas, you know, the sofa covering, the mm-hmm. curtains, the blind. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And if they get it wrong, you spend a huge amount of money on achieving, you know, not the kind of look that you were hoping <laughs> for or not the ambience that you were hoping to live with. Yeah. So people really underestimate what interior designers have to do. We're taking a quick break to remind designers about the Shade Store's trade program with special discounts starting at 20%. Designers enjoy free, unlimited swatches, access to their exclusive designer collections, as well as COM on Roman shades, drapery, and cornices, free professional measurements, professional installation options, and expert design consultants. Let the Shade Store take custom window treatments off your to-do list. Sign up for a trade account at theshadestore.com slash to the trade. And now, back to the show. It's always been one of the arguments for why fabric hasn't readily been available at street level, right? So the consumer doesn't know enough about what to do with window treatments or how to even have them created for yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, and, and some companies have started to come along and, and, yeah. and, and begun providing that service. Mm. I know that's something that's on your mind. Yep. And we were talking earlier about possible acquisitions or possible business expansions for you. Sure. I know that you're thinking about pursuing something along those lines. Can you can you tell me a well, little I bit think about that? By opening the new showroom, which is in Pimlico, mm. and we offer a bespoke service. So it isn't a full interior design service, but it's a bespoke service. So if a client comes to us and wants a pillow in a special size, we'll make it. We have a workroom. If a client wants a pair of curtains made, we can do it. Mm -hmm. We don't say we can offer you the full interior design service, but we can do it. And interestingly, we are offering this service to interior designers as well. Mm-hmm. So interior designers are taking advantage of our service because it's so time-consuming to organize all these things that they're using us. And, of course, they mark our service up to the end user. But so would we. Because, remember, our clients are interior designers, so we will, at all costs, protect them. Right. So, yes, we do offer the service, and, mm-hmm. but so do a lot of people. I've just visited a showroom recently that I really respect, mm-hmm. and they're taking on the projects themselves. Meaning and what they, exactly? They will take on an interior design project and do the whole thing. And this is a rep showroom we're talking about. I see. So, so this is a multi-line showroom absolutely. that you visited recently, and they are is, providing interior providing design services. It. Yep. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, in the UK, it's not uncommon. Mm. If you take... Um, 
Colfax and Fowler. Mm-hmm. They have an interior design and have traditionally always had an interior design service, but they sell their fabrics as well. Right. So it's not unknown in the UK, and it comes as a bit of a shock when it happens in America, but I believe it's going to happen. You think that's what's going to happen next? It has to happen. So It has to happen. So. It has to happen, <laughs> but, but also as suppliers, we always have to remember that interior designers are our core customers, right. and we need to protect them. Right. So how do we thread that needle? I mean, do you, do you want to ultimately be down on the street? as you are in the UK? Do you want to be at street level and have both consumers and designers coming to you? Is that what you think the future is like? You know, I think a a great thing. I don't know America well enough to know where to do that. Mm. But I think if I were to do it, Mm. I'd have to be attached to a workroom. I'd have to have somebody very, very solid behind me. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have a trimmings company perhaps with me, a curtain hardware company with me, and then I would do it. But I think when you do it, you've got to be very ready. And if you do do it, you need to be sure to offer the same service to your interior designers at a different price to what you're giving you know, the retail customer. Right. Okay, so it's always partially about protecting that interior designer and, and their pricing structure. Absolutely. Yeah. You're also looking at business here in the in the states and 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 elsewhere, where, as you've said, the the internet has dramatically changed people's shopping behavior, and uh, they're coming to the design centers a lot less than they than they were. Totally. You, you've seen a massive shift in the traffic at yeah. the D and D building, for All example. All sorts of changes for interior designers. And what are you what are you doing in in let's take the new york market for example so what are you doing to adjust to those changes what are, what are you doing differently in terms of how you're running your your business i mean i know you have a, a couple of outside salespeople in new york yes yes you know when i first came to new york with, with travis for example they didn't have outside sales people and then they got one and that was a big event <laughs> i really think right. now we need more outside sales people we are trying to use video to get our story across hmm. so actually i'm doing a trial tomorrow to see how that's going to work out okay it, oh, it's all to, to do with um people's time how much time have they got hmm. you know if you your salesperson tries to get a visit with an interior designer it seems so challenging right now yes very challenging you know so much so that I noticed they're taking lunch and taking up their lunch time I mean this is all yes. very weird to me <laughs> and I won't elaborate but anyway um, well. so I think we need to find a way which appeals to them more which doesn't mm. take too much time but gets your product in front of them so that you know they know what you've got and if that's what they're looking for they know where to go the the most success we as a company have is when we can have events because when we put the fabric in people's hands, they understand it. It does seem much more challenging than, it, than it's ever so been, much a, a, more. as you say, particularly for a product at your level. Mm-hmm. It used to be very, very simple. Yeah. You'd, you'd well, run a few pages in Architectural Digest, you'd that's write, it. And be, people and, would call you yes. and, 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 you know, done deal. I mean, what would you do? I'm convinced right now that one of the best investments that companies that are selling to designers can make is really investing in great images, great content, sharing it through Instagram and other channels because that's where designers are spending their their time, clearly. And I think that if you can tell a great story, which you have, and if you can share a, a beautiful product, which you, which you have, and, and make it compelling, 
tell that story over and over again and, and just keeping, keep reminding them, I think that's, that's the first big investment I would make, honestly, before anything else. Yeah, it's I constant. agree. I think photography is a really big thing right now, yes. which actually brings its own challenges because take, for example, a fabric company. We're a fabric company. We're not interior designers. So what do we do? Fabric, a pile of fabric. We photograph a pile of fabric. Uh, you know, it's know, always it, it, it's a question. Or do you photograph the fabric as a curtain or as drapery? Is, is that how you have to do it? Because as soon as you do that, you have to choose a room to photograph it in, and that is pigeonholing you. Mm. Whereas our product can work from, from a fashion designer all the way through to a yacht. We have a lot of yacht clients, you know, to private aircraft, to, to a castle, or to a very modern penthouse. So as soon as you choose where to show that fabric, then you're pigeonholing yourself. So that's a challenge too. No, absolutely. That's a that's a great point. So many designers say that they do want to see it somehow in situ. They do want to see it on on a product, mm. um, but that's that's a big investment. Uh, I I can't stress good photography and working with a good photographer in in much the same way that interior designers have been somewhat diminished by mm. what people can do on the internet. Photographers have had their skill and their value diminished by what people are able to do on their phone. Everybody oh, thinks, right? Everybody they're thinks a they're a photographer. Got it. Yes. Yeah. And, and nothing could be farther from the truth. Totally. Great photographers are are worth paying for and worth mm. investing in because there's there's just nothing like what what they can do there. Well, before I go, I'm going to get some names of photographers <laughs> from you. But I must tell you that yesterday I was in the showroom in New York. And a young guy came in, and he was obviously a young interior designer. I didn't have much time to talk to him, but he had produced a book, and it was not a very thick book. Mm. It was just a book of some of his projects, and it was beautifully bound. And having the actual printed paper in my hands and looking at these photographs was so much more important than looking on the phone. Mm which kind of contradicts what we've both been saying. Well, exactly. I, I, let me be the first to say I'm not at all happy that magazines are going away at no, the rate that they are. But they are. Sorry. So to your earlier point, people have less time. They're more distracted. So much Completely. more is coming at them today than ever before. And even though they might love your product, if it's not immediately in front of them and there's something else similar that they it. saw, right? Absolutely. There's some other blue fabric. Totally. That they, right? they don't have the time to look around. Uh, again, if it's not in stock, yeah. they'll just find another one as well. Which brings me to another point. Please. That is the cost of sampling. Oh, That is so different in America than it yes. is in Europe. Yes. So Hugely different. So let's talk about that because I know it, 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 drives, it drives a lot of European companies crazy with the amount of money that we spend here in the US on, on sampling. It's huge and totally different. We give hundreds of thousands of cuttings out every month. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah. <coughs> we and have a whole department just making the small cuttings. Just making the small cuttings. And and do you have a sense <coughs> of how big a percentage of your of your sales volume you're you're giving out in, in sampling? You know, <clears throat> Pardon me. No, no. It's such an upsetting subject that it. She's very choked up about it. As, as absolutely, ev as everyone, everyone in the fabric industry is. Very, most people can't even talk about. Yeah, it. I can hardly talk about it. <laughs> but you know, I used to think 
it was going to be 2% of the sales. Then it was 5%. Mm. Now I've got to look at 10%. And actually it's a whole lot more than that because of the quantities required in the U.S. And another thing that happens in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) Another problem with the U.S. market while we're on it. (laughs) It's a great market, mind you. It's the best market at the moment. (laughs) However, everybody here needs a CFA. You know what I mean by I do. CFA. Right. So, so just for, for audience members, so a CFA is a cutting for approval. Absolutely. Right? And uh, and why why did that become a, a part of the process in the U.S.? That's an American thing. That is an American thing. <laughs> it is. Exactly. It's very much so. Well, in a lot of European countries, providing the color is pretty similar and the handle is pretty similar, that's great. You know, it's a right. natural fiber. It's right. almost a handmade product. That's right. good, and that's going to add to my interior. Yes. But in America, the color has to be identical. Right. That's hard to control. Therefore, and the handle has to be identical. So therefore, they need a CFA to check that against their original sample. Right. Right. To be sure right. <laughs> that it is identical. Yeah. So that's why they, they all want a CFA before you can actually ship the goods. Yes. So every day we're sending hundreds of FedEx yes. um, parcels. So, and again, literally you're, you're taking a small cutting from the bolt that you're using right now of whatever the product is. You're, you're taking a small cutting and sending that off as a cutting for approval. And then that gets mailed to a designer or a specifier, whoever it is in the mix. They have to then approve that. Meanwhile, you're holding a reserve. Exactly. We haven't even talked about the reserve part of the whole yep. equation, right? <laughs> so, so the designer is asking you to hold on to 20 meters or 40 meters or whatever it is, right? While you're waiting to send them this cutting for approval. Yeah. So let's presume we yes. have this roll of 40 meters mm. in the UK that we've taken a cutting off, a CFA, sent it off to a, a city in America. And that person is waiting to make a decision. But at the same time, it may be our last 40 meters of mm. that roll. And somebody in Milan also wants it, but they can't have it because they have to wait three weeks. Right. Until the decision is made in America whether that color actually matches the original sample. I'm sort of simplifying it now, but no, that's no. actually what happens. Yes, so that is exactly what happens. Tons of our stock is held up. Yes. Waiting for a decision. And yes. I don't have a downer on the Americans. It's our biggest growing market and I love it. But um, it's just a different way of working. It's it's a very challenging way of working. And again, I don't know when this started or how this came about I don't know it's always been this way so, so you've always been told that this is how it is in America this is how it is and that's what you do how do we change it how do we how do we get rid of the, how do we get rid of the reserve process how do we get rid of the CFA process I mean some companies will e- even give you a discount if, if you waive the CFA right they'll say if you know what if you're willing to move this process along I'll even give you a few percent off or whatever yeah. you know I think the reserve process I actually understand and respect because you imagine you've got your interior designer showing this product to the end client and the end client might have to say hang on I've got to show my wife or I've got to show mm-hmm. my husband so we're yeah. still making a decision no so no I, I understand get that and can support them on that and I I really get it. The CFA thing is more challenging because what I want people to understand with our product is that it's never going to be totally identical. And 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 it's going to be close close enough. So, so in Europe, 
as you were saying, people understand it, it's not going to be exactly this. It's going to be close to oh, absolutely, this. Absolutely, because we don't accept everything the mills send us. We have a certain tolerance, mm. which isn't very big. So we have a certain tolerance. Right. Understanding the process. So we'll only accept it in if we think it's within that tolerance. Um, but but in the U.S., that's that's not good enough. And well, it's not every interior designer, but so many interior designers want it to be identical. Mm-hmm. And so, does it often happen that people don't accept the, the don't oh, approve the very CFA? Often. Yep. Very often. Not very often, but it certainly does happen enough that it's. In which case, we then wait for the next delivery to come, and then we send another CFA. Mm. So that's a that's a trick for all fabric companies. It's difficult. To, it's difficult to manage. And it's another thing that might happen a lot less if you were selling on the street. As long as the <laughs> the man on the street doesn't get too fussy about coloring or does understand the variance in, yeah. in colors yeah yeah for for years I, I i worked for a company that sold marble slabs yeah and you you had to so you understand right. that what yes. i'm saying you had to have the same conversation with people you understand yep. that this is marble it's a real thing yes <laughs> and that it is not going to look exactly like yeah. this. it is something that comes up a great deal as does the whole sampling issue so the the right so the free yeah. samples it's a it's a big it's a huge expense. it's a huge investment huge 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 and do you investment. get a lot of your samples back from designers? well that's the good thing in america we do receive quite a large number of our samples back uh, envelopes with the postage paid prepaid envelopes and they just here. don't they don't they, come back they don't come back mm. but as a company right now we're very much on a sustainability um drive mm. and therefore we don't want to waste fabric you know our leftover fabric goes to a charity. Um, we don't want to waste samples because it's a huge amount of fabric. You won't believe how much fabric actually goes into tiny little cuttings. You know, the new rolls come in and get cut up. So we're trying to recycle them as much as we possibly can, and we're trying to get people on board with that. And and, and, and is that starting to, to take hold? Are, are people it's taking a while. Slow, slowly. <laughs> but, um, It'll change. I, I, I hope so. I hope it's going to change very, very soon. Mm. What is going to change for you in, in, in the next few years? I, I, I sense that you're, you're thinking about making some, some big changes to your, to your company. What do, you, what, do you, what do you see happening? I think I would love to, I don't think, I know, I would love to be in China in a big way. I think there's, there's a great future in China, mm-hmm. Asia. I think um, Singapore, Japan, you know, the, these sort of countries I'd really like to spend more time in and grow. In, in those countries. So you have some representation in China, yes? We do. We have some representation in China, but I think it, it's we've got a long way to go in China. Mm-hmm. It's a huge opportunity. It's, it's a, a huge big opportunity. Market. There's a huge new showroom opened in, is it called um, Shenzhen? Mm-hmm. Huge new building design. Yes, huge design, design center. Building. Yeah, we talked I'd to love Campion to be Platt part of that. that. In yeah. fact, Campion approached us. Did he? So I'd love okay. to be involved in something like that. So, you know, the world's a big place. There's lots of other countries to be in. But I think at the moment, Europe is having its challenges, even without Brexit. No, absolutely. challenges. And I think the economy in America is huge. Is there going to be a a correction, a winter, as people like to call it? Absolutely, I think that there is. But your economy is strong. There's so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's there's a long way to go in America. In America, love to be in Mexico, Argentina. We're not there. Oh, interesting. So you're yeah. not really in Latin America very no, much. No, 
And and have you been holding back on that just because they not haven't found the right relationships or? It, you know, I think it, the right relationship is more important than just being there. Right. I've learned that over the years. So yes, we need to look at it. Okay. Okay. But but overall, I, I you you sound like you're very optimistic about things and and there's a lot of opportunities. But but some big some big shakeouts sort of have to have to come. I think there are big shakeouts happening. I think you know there are. Acquisitions are interesting for us. Um, new showrooms are interesting. Mm. Perfecting what we do, creating more of a home, a home lifestyle collection. Mm-hmm. Um, provi- providing other companies, uh, luxury companies, with home products, which we've done for a long time and continuing to do that. So, do do you, do you offer private label products? That yes, you, we do. You do that. Yeah. You, that other companies sell. Mm. Okay, and and that's become uh, uh, ever sort of increasing business for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Also working a little more with fashion is a very exciting mm. opportunity for us. So tell me what that looks like, working more with fashion. Well, we've worked with bespoke designers in the UK, mm-hmm. and we've supplied them with fabric. So I hope that that continues and we grow with others. I think that's it's a very exciting fashion. So, and, and is all of this how you've managed to keep your your company growing so, so many people always sort of doom and gloom about the fabric industry and here you are growing and and doing 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 well i mean again yeah relative to the to the market obviously but i mean you seem to be doing we're doing, doing great especially doing, in america yes. you know things are going well touch wood yes um, we've got a future to fight but right. things are going great you know i'm never happy when things are going well and everything's stable that makes me nervous and now nothing is stable, <laughs> so it's exciting times, and I, I'm just looking forward to you know the next this year and seeing what it brings. Have I, I know you don't like to talk about specific companies here in the in the U.S. Obviously, we've had some some bankruptcies recently in the fabric yeah, industry, yeah. and we've had some consolidation and some big companies, uh, sort of legendary companies, being being acquired uh, or mergers happening. Have, have have people approached you? Have you? Uh, yes, indeed. Yes? yes, indeed. But I'm not ready to retire. Right. So that you're not looking for that kind of an option. You're no. looking more to be an acquirer, perhaps, than, than to be... An acquirer or to work with somebody. Or to partner or, with someone? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned you'd, you'd love to have a trimming line of, of yep. some sort, yep. right? And then yep. and then a hardware line. Yeah. Uh, and, and also to, to find a good upholstery partner, right? Yes, absolutely. And in the UK, we do have people that we work with. So we have got um, a curtain hardware person that we work with specifically, Mm. a paint company that we work with specifically. So we do have those sort of things, but not yet in the US. Could you see yourself having all of that, having a sort of a real decor shop kind of of setup? Yeah, I'd love it. You'd love love it. But but that would have to be outside of a design center? I think at the way design centers are set up today, yes, probably. But that's really what you'd like to like to build in the future. I think that would be an interesting opportunity. You know, I don't <laughs> want to pinpoint. No, it no, of course, of course. I think there are so many opportunities, and I think they are happening as we speak. Yes. And so, you know, I just want to be aware of them all and see mm. how that works with Delaconia. I'm just so convinced that that's where the fabric industry has to go somehow. Yes, okay. that I, and, and since you, of, of the many people that I've spoken to, you seem the closest to, to sort of being able to yeah. make that happen. Yeah. I, I want to push you along in any okay. way that I can you know, and support I think you. It has to happen. Yes. And I think the problem is interior designers are nervous of it. But they don't need to be nervous because there's a whole model 
that will support and protect them. Mm. So it doesn't have to affect interior designers. But, you know, because already people are doing their own interiors. They are going, I won't name the stores, but the Mm. stores, particularly in America, where people are going to buy their own things and get their own things done. So it doesn't have to affect interior designers. It can support interior designers and protect them. I mean, I think once interior designers know and understand that, things will start to gather pace. Well, and I, and I think, and, and uh, one, of, one of my recent guests, uh, Catherine Conley from, from Merida, talked about this. She also sees a, a real shakeout coming, and, mm. and that, that's ultimately going to be really good for interior designers because they're going to sort of pull away, and the, and the really talented designers are going to be recognized for, for their abilities. Completely. Right? Completely. Yeah. Because we can't do without them. It's no. like architects. We can't do without them. But we just need to think about a different way. Yes, and, th- and that's really the, the key. So yeah. the, the I'd quite like to employ a group of interior... I'd like to have a design studio. Interesting. You know, I'd so that's a whole other option. I'd like to buy another design studio. Wait, so could you see yourself um, doing that? I could. I could if it was the right one. Okay, so you you're, you're want to see where this all shakes out and, yep. then, and then sort of invest in it. I think in you're your... pushing me to do well, it. Well, I am. I'm I'm, I, mean, I think that you sound like the, like the one to do it. I, I feel like if, if, if a few bold people, smart people, mm. talented people, yeah. take this big step, whatever this yeah. big next step is going yeah. to, to be, yeah. the, the, the rest will, will, will follow, yeah. right? And, and the industry will sort of move along. Everybody knows this needs to happen. But nobody's, everyone's... And, you know, it doesn't mean that um, design centers need to close down. No! They just have to act slightly differently. Yes. That's all. Yes. And then everybody will benefit. What what would help to make the D&D more of a destination? What would make it a more compelling experience? My goodness, you talk to every person who's running a retail company, and all they want to talk to you about is how can we make the experience better? What can we do to make the D&D experience better? I was talking to Scott the other day. We were traveling to Dallas together, and he came up with what seems like such an obvious idea, but I think it's a brilliant idea. He said somewhere like the D&D, could have one of those what do you call them in the US where a whole lot of designers work in one space together sure and have that absolutely a shared space like a exactly. WeWork like a Fuego so absolutely. you know like a Fuego you yes. could have a huge space in the D&D which is dedicated to young designers who all they want is a computer and access to a library wouldn't even need a library in the D&D because yes. you know it's all there Absolutely. So it would be a win-win. I think I'm going to suggest it to them. (laughs) There you go. Bring that up to Mr. Cohen and uh, and see if you can bring that change about because something really dramatic has to to change as as far as all that goes because it has to become a much more compelling experience for people. Well, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I'm I'm so excited that you are going to be leading the charge to make some very exciting (laughs) challenges in our industry. Bernie, we are going to watch this space because well, who better I'm, I'm going to be you. off a lot of people's Christmas cards well, now listen but, you've got um, to break <laughs> a few eggs to make those delicious omelets Bernie but you are the one to do it uh, so I am very excited thank you it's an exciting time it, it really is and thank you for your yes. time I really well, appreciate it I'm, I'm so delighted to have you join me my guest has been Bernie De La Cogna, founder and CEO of De La Cogna. thank you again for joining us the show is business of home and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe 
tell a friend about the show, and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you again to our sponsor and our producers. You can find us at businessofhome.com or on Facebook or Instagram. We'll see you next week. Thank you.